Hello everybody, welcome to the Wicked Side. This is Brenna, and as always, we just want to issue a trigger warning. Things get a little dark, a little distressing, and a little depressing, and this episode's gonna get a little heavy, so you might want to find another form of entertainment if you're not in the proper mental state. Thank you for joining us, and we are very happy to have you here on the Wicked Side. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wicked Side. This is Brenna. Hey, everybody, it's Tom. He's back. Oh. <laughs> he's back and he's alive. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, had the COVID. First time, but, you know, it waited three years to get me, mm-hmm. but it got me. So, yeah, was down for two days with COVID feelings. And then after that, it was just a sinus infection. So waiting it out. Oh yeah, yeah, it was yeah. fun. Just two weeks in this little room. I figured that's what you were doing. So. Yeah. <laughs> I kept messaging you to check on you. So. Yep. Don't worry, I was fine. <laughs> yeah, I was glad, but you know, sending I, you memes too was fun. So. Yeah, fair enough. I would. <laughs> I beat COVID with uh, multivitamins and uh, coffee and video games, basically. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's what got me through. Hey, whatever works. <laughs> oh. like so, yeah. Um, the last episode we did, uh, I did with my husband, Scotty, of course. And we talked about uh, the 1904 and 1900 Olympics, which were hilarious. Wacky. Yep. So, and then um, before that, we had two fairly, I feel, inspiring and interesting um, stories of individuals. Oh, yeah. Yep. I've decided I'm not going to take it so easy on you this time. Fuck, I just got back from COVID. I know, I know, and i got to go rough. My so. absence shall be punished, is that what you say? <laughs> is that what this is? No, 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 nothing of the sort. <laughs> <laughs> you do not sound sincere. Oh, God, okay, so recording that episode was a nightmare escape. We recorded it three times. Ooh. Yeah, because what kept happening is... I was using the old Meteor mic, yeah. right? And we would test. Well, then I had to unplug it in order to hear the test. Mm-hmm. And then I would plug it back in. But because I unplugged it, it automatically defaulted to the laptop's mic. Which is terrible. Yes. And I didn't <laughs> realize it was doing that, despite the fact that the Meteor mic was plugged in uh, and the light was on. Uh. Yeah, so it sounded like I was talking through a pillowcase, and you couldn't hear Scott at all. Oh, God. It was just, it was bad. It was bad on every level of bad. So Don't blame me for it. No. You're taking it out on me this week. No, no, not at all. That was my own stupidity. And then I, uh, Scotty was kind enough to do it a third time with me. Um, the poor man. I know. I agree. <laughs> Participation with you in most things is tacking, let alone three times on the I same know. one. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I haven't been here, so I don't have to take it easy on you either. Oh no, he he definitely had fun um, filling your role. So nice. Good job, Scotty. <laughs> there Way was to a uphold. few dad jokes and. Way to uphold it. Questionably appropriate comments. <laughs> uh, nice. Oh. Anyway, yep, so I'm just going to jump right in. So like I said, Tom, for today's episode, I've decided not to take it easy on you. Oh I gave you a couple of interesting ones that, while not exactly lighthearted, didn't make you break out the puppy's folder. 
Oh boy. So let's fix that, shall we? After all, we can't have you getting too comfortable. On today's episode, we're just going to tell you who you are because the it's the events that happen to you that are the subject of today's episode. Okay. This time you are a male. Your name is Fred Boyce. I couldn't find a date of birth, but we can get very close because your records show that in August of 1941, a 21-year-old woman by the name of Mina Boyce gave custody of you as an eight-month-old infant and one of your brothers to the state of Massachusetts. Okay. Mina was both a widow and an alcoholic and in no condition to care for a child. And her husband had just died. Okay, so given up by my alcoholic mother, father's dead. Okay, so we're starting out. So I either become like Bob Sapp or (laughs) or that one serial killer chick. Oh, here we go. Yep, yep, yep. What, what terrible things shall befall me? Sadly, he actually committed suicide before you were even born. In fact, she lost custody of 13 children to the state. Ooh, wow. Yeah. For seven years, you were bounced between seven different foster homes. Before you ended up in Farinald, an institute where children who were mentally disabled or who the state simply didn't know what to do with were housed. Oh, oh that's fun. Yeah. The full name of the imposing red brick building was the Walter E. Farinald School for the Feeble-Minded. You found yourself placed there after being given a test, which involved asking you to define words such as timid or tame. However, you didn't have the benefit of even a basic education. You scored 65 out of 100, which back then would have put you under the label of feeble-minded. For some reason, these people thought that a scared 7- or 8-year-old who had never been to school, surrounded by strangers asking him weird questions, should do well on these tests. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, these tests uh, were later discredited. I feel like that's a big duh. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, you've never heard that word before? You must be stupid. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I do love that. So let's dive a bit into the history of this place. It was built in 1888 on 200 Toledo Road in Walkham, Massachusetts. Its architect was a man named William Gibbons Preston. However, the institution belonged to, it belonged to was established in 1848 in Boston by reformer Samuel Gridley Howe. Samuel Gridley Howe. With $2,500 in funds from the state of Massachusetts state legislator, who originally called it the Experimental School for Teaching and Training Idiotic Children. It's... It sounds better as, like, the Charles Xavier Institute for Gifted Children. Mm-hmm. You know, can we call it that? <laughs> yeah. And as off as that seems, it gets worse. The school was later renamed the Walter E. Farinald, the school's third superintendent, who was an a- staunch advocate for eugenics. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. For those who don't know what eugenics is, it's a highly controversial belief that only certain groups with desirable genes should be allowed to breed. It was aimed at improving, in quotation marks, certain groups of people and is largely used to prop up racist and ableist beliefs. And in uh, the 1920s, this school ran by this man was considered to be the model educational facility in the field of mental retardation. And as I've stated before on this podcast, the past was fucking awful. (sighs) Yeah. Man. So now that we so we're stuck in the Charles Xavier Institute for Gifted Children. Yeah, the hell version. Yeah. <laughs> to give you an idea, most of the references I used 
refer to the occupants of the school as inmates. Jeez. <laughs> They're not even trying to hide it. They're no. like, oh, we're fucking keeping them here. But the Boston Globe claims that over half the people who spent time there were tested and found to have IQs in the average range. So they weren't at all mentally disabled. Ugh. It was literally, it was just a dumping hole for, like, people they they didn't know what to do with. Yep. And uh, in an interesting twist, patients were actually used in the construction of the building, using the, the belief that the occupants were being taught occupational skills. That's the excuse that they used. I couldn't find anything on if they were paid for their labor, but all things considered, I don't have enough faith in humanity to believe that they were. After the move, it became a familiar story. Originally built with the idea of education and, or teaching trades to those with mental disabilities, it quickly became overrun, as the need for these services were quite high. Eventually, it lost its original mission and simply became a repository for those that society wanted to hide away and ignore. And thus, the abuse began. Uh, there are even reports does. of women being forcibly sterilized. Oh, which isn't surprising considering the 1920s um, considered this the poster child for the American eugenics movement. So, yeah, uh, there we go. Um, and apparently, I found out recently, I guess the building was sat abandoned for a while, and they are reopening it. I mean, the bricks didn't have anything to do with it. No. They put it to good use. It's no, fine. but they're calling it the same name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, and conditions hadn't improved at all by the time you arrived. In fact, they were brutal. You received no education. And when you finally left in the 1960s, you still couldn't read or write. You would frequently question the staff and ask them why you were there since you weren't suffering from any type of mental disability or mental illness. You repeatedly told the staff, there ain't nothing wrong with me. Later in an interview, you said, we didn't commit any crimes. We were just seven-year-old orphans. Yeah. Instead of education, the education you were supposed to have received, you were forced into labor, farming for the institution, <laughs> and cleaning the building. And the staff often denied you food and other creature comforts. <laughs> you were given yeah. no affection by the staff, Jeez. no hope, and no care. How do you raise a serial killer? <laughs> well, just, just hold off. <laughs> so... You were forced into dormitory rooms that housed as many as 36 people at a time. And even more heartbreaking is the reports of not only physical abuse and neglect, but sexual abuse as well. Yeah. So in, the 19, so in 1949, when the new science club was to be introduced to the school, you became excited for many reasons. First, there was the promise of gifts for joining, such as baseball tickets, Mickey Mouse watches, and trips off the dismal school grounds, free breakfast. The breakfast itself was donated by the Quaker Oats Company. You had desperately hoped that the scientists there would see the conditions the children were made to suffer in and use their respectable positions to help improve the lives of the school's residents. You were later quoted as saying, we didn't know anything at the time, we just thought we were special. This is partially because, at the time, the Institute housed around 2,000 inmates, and the group that made up the science club consisted of 57 boys. Jeepers. Yeah. So, That's a lot of people. Uh, yeah. A lot. Inmates. Yikes. Yep. Yeah. And it's the, the part that's very heartbreaking for me is to 
be in an institution like that, to feel unwanted, unloved, and then have this little ray of hope that maybe you might matter to somebody. Somebody's that you might that be out. special and you might be chosen and yeah yeah that is unfathomably cruel yeah <sighs> jeez i'm yeah. gonna start drinking on this episode aren't i <laughs> I, I don't know probably i'm not gonna lie so oh, here we go like we mentioned earlier, you were finally released in the 1960s with the label the institution has given you as dull slash normal or a clinical diagnosis of familial moron. <laughs> yeah. You eventually found work as a carnival barker. You used the money from this to pay for tutors to educate you so you could finally read and write. You purchased your own home. You did get married for a brief period, but after two years, you and your wife, whose name was Abra Figueroa, uh, divorced. The, though the two of you stayed very close throughout your life, you even find it in you to forgive your mother, seeing her pain and trauma and acknowledging them. You also even say you forgave the Institute staff. Figueroa, actually, she was interviewed several times, and she said that basically you had just come to terms with the fact that they were overworked, they were underpaid, they weren't getting help, you know? Right. And that and it takes one or two abusive assholes and the place is a hellhole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you, you take, even then, even good people, you know, once forced in those conditions and struggling, you know, they're going to do some pretty awful things. Just right. stress, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would have it in me, but yeah, Freddie did. Nice. To me, it seems you simply thought of them as cogs in an awful machine that they were unable to stop or start. You struggle to maintain relationships, however. It's only speculation on my part, but perhaps because of the abuse and neglect you suffered. I did a bit of looking out of curiosity, and again, I'm no psychologist, therapist, or counselor, so this is just a very brief and cursory look. But from what I saw, it's fairly common for orphans in the system or in similar institutions to struggle forming long-term relationships. And while they crave the affection and attention, they also find themselves to be easily overwhelmed by it. I actually talked to a friend of mine who has been in the system about this very issue, and she agreed that those things, those are things that she and others she knows have been through and commonly struggle with. And we both expressed our frustration that the system has no mental health services or counseling available for these children, especially considering that many of them carry heavy trauma. I was also told that agencies who handle adoptions frequently do not check up on their wards, so there's little to no follow-up or concern for the child's care or safety after they are handed off to their new parents. That was not something I knew. That was something she told me. Hmm. At the risk of sounding preachy, this is frankly an issue I'm disgusted that more people don't advocate for reform or change for. Hmm. Man. Yeah, I personally feel there's a lot of lip service paid to protecting our children, but very little action is taken, especially in cases like this. It's an issue easily ignored by politicians and voters across both parties. I personally feel like if we as a society want to claim any kind of advancement or success within our nation, we have to start with the extreme neglect and abuse of those younger members of our society that are often forgotten and overlooked. And there endeth my social justice rant, so... But it is um, an issue that I frequently talk about. You know, I just... It's heartbreaking. Right. Me. So, 
Back on topic, though, in 1993, you received news that was shocking to say the least. Around this time, documents from the Atomic Energy Commission were declassified by the Secretary of Energy, Hazel O'Leary. This was part of a growing concern after Eileen Wellsom, an investigative journalist for the Albuquerque Tribune, published three, a three-part story she titled The Plutonium Experiment, which covered human testing involving radiation and its effects on the human body, in which participants were unaware of their involvement or unwilling. She also wrote a book on the subject that was later published in 1999 titled The Plutonium Files, America's Secret Medical Experiments in the Cold War. She also won a Pulitzer Prize for national reporting in 1994 for reporting these issues. Oh, wow. Yep. It's actually been estimated that between the years of 1945 and 1962, more than 210 or 210,000 civilians and soldiers were experimented on, most without their knowledge. Yep. All by experiments approved by the Atomic Energy Commission. Not long after those reports became declassified, a librarian who worked at Fernald found a ledger that described the experiments held at that very institution. Experiments that you were unknowingly a part of. The documents stated that you and other participants in the science club had been fed oatmeal that had been dosed with radioactive material. Oh, fuck. Those aren't raisins, Timmy. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, MIT, who did the experiments, knew about what was in, as they were the ones who conducted the experiments, yeah. But it was also found that Quaker Oats also knew. Oh, wow. Not only that these experiments were being conducted, but these were being conducted on their behalf. Uh. Yeah. And it wasn't for the benefit of mankind or any such misguided malarkey. No, they did this for business research. Yeah. In an Associated Press article, prosecuting attorney Michael Manchin said... What was the genesis of this particular experiment? It seems simply to be, what are the relative benefits of oatmeal and cream of wheat? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Not yeah. shocked, honestly. Yeah. I mean... I wish Watching I <laughs> academia work with, you know, corporations working with the government to further whatever. Yeah, okay. I believe you. That's yeah. Fine. I get that. Quaker Oats was in stiff competition with cream of wheat at the time, and they wanted to see how nutrients inside their product were absorbed in the human body. So they fed you and others cereal with radioactive iron tracers, and even laced the milk that was in the cereal with radioactive calcium tracers. Jeez. They didn't stop there, though. They injected you with radioactive calcium. They were also concerned in the study that plant-based grains may inhibit the absorption of iron. Because phytate, a natural silic acid, could prevent the absorption in high levels. Quaker wanted to see how oats compared to farina flour, which is the main ingredient in cream of wheat. Apparently, they found that it was about the same. The injections, however, showed scientists that calcium in the bloodstream is delivered directly to the bones. Later, this information was important in research and studies pertaining to osteoporosis. So... I, it's one of those things that yes, there were benefits, but there were much more ethical ways to go about and get this information, other yeah. than like, yeah, let's just feed these orphans. kids. Yeah, let's feed these orphan kids that you know nobody will care about. Quote yes, unquote. Exactly. 
And, uh, yeah, let's, I mean, they're either going to glow in the dark or they're going to get strong bones, so we'll find out which. Yeah. Fuck. I know. Super. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to go easy on you. <laughs> I told you I never like breakfast cereals. Fuck <laughs> Now you know why. I'm telling you. Fuck, like, fuck the cereal. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, at this point it's like, I, I can't look at quicker. It's the same. Like, for a long time, that was like... <sighs> held up as this it felt like it like this wholesome just breakfast food company and really i just always thought it was a breakfast food company with a dude on there yeah but i never kind of got to get emotional feelings about it other than the fact that i knew that well, no, that I mean, stuff like shit the, without putting a bunch of, of sugar advertising that was used to convey you know it was always uh, used to convey a very wholesome image i i always disregard whatever they're trying to convey because it's always a lie yeah <laughs> yeah they're a corporation. They just want your money in exchange for their good. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Well, some might argue that the results combined with the low doses, and it seemed that, or, and the fact that it seemed not to have hurt the children at all, would render this a non-issue to many people. But others disagreed, including you. You reached out to other members of the science club and to the press itself and began talking about the highly unethical behavior displayed during these experiments, especially since they targeted children with no parents to be outraged should anything go wrong. The Senator's Committee on Labor and Human Resources, headed by Committee Chair Senator Edward Kennedy, held a hearing on the issue. During the hearing, he directly asked the researchers why they used the occupants of Farinald instead of children from private schools or even MIT students. He questioned the ethics behind those choices, asking them, aren't you appalled at the fact that the most vulnerable people in our society, which are young people, seven and eight years old, that are in an institution, aren't you appalled that they were the ones selected? No, because that's why they selected them. Mm-hmm. So how can you be, you can't be appalled after the fact. Like, I can't believe we did this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't fucking work that can't way. Appa- you can't be appalled when it was intentional. Yeah, so. yeah. However, this part of the matter doesn't seem to bother <laughs> some, especially since a Massachusetts panel reached the conclusion that none of the children experimented on suffered significant health problems. And in fact, they still use radioactive tracers on patients today. There was also the sort of mindset that Americans were the heroes in the post-war era. So whatever they did in the name of progress or as part of a potential war effort were completely justified. In an article by <sighs> Smithsonian Magazine, they have a quote from a man named John Lantos. Lantos is a pediatrician at the, medical, at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. He also happens to be an expert in medical ethics. He says... Technology was good. We were the leaders. We were the good guys. So anything we did could not be bad. (laughs) He continues saying, It wasn't until the 70s after the Tuskegee study that Congress passed federal regulation requiring specific kind of oversight. The same article says that... Tell that to the MK Ultra peoples. (laughs) Yeah, they sure passed that. That worked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The same article says that at the hearing, an MIT representative named David Lister claimed the experiment of Farinold only exposed the boys to 170 to 330 millirems of radiation, which roughly equates to 30 chest x-rays done in succession. (sighs) Only. 
Nothing like, you know, glowing in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> you start eating their oatmeal and you're like, why does why does why does my pee look like a glow stick? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I th- yeah, like, I don't know about you, but 30 consecutive chest x-rays sounds bad. It sounds really, really bad. I mean, I, I think about the dose of radiation I'm getting. I've, I've had a lot of x-rays in my mm-hmm. life. I've been accident prone. I've broke a few things. It's happened. Yeah. Fuck, I think about it when you go to the dentist. Mm-hmm. But, like, I have that concern when, when it's just like one quick flash. Like, you see the technician go over there and get all lead-lined behind something, and they're like, no, 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 it's cool. <laughs> ah! Right. He sa- He then says, as to what are the medical and biological effects of that, with such low doses of radiation, it's very difficult. The article also says Lister claims that a child exposed to that dose has a 1 in 2,000 chance of contracting cancer, which is slightly higher than the average rate. I think any parent would tell you any increase is too much, which yeah. is probably why they went after children without parents. I mean, that's, yeah, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. No consent forms to sign if they're wards of the oh, state. that's the other thing. They did have them saying consent forms. No, the kids did? Yeah, because kids can totally be legally yeah. bound to a consent form. Yeah, it's cool. And what's worse, according to the same article, Farinold wasn't the only school in which the young and vulnerable people within it were used as lab rats. Of course not. Inmates at the Willowbrook State School were purposely exposed to the hepatitis A virus so that researchers <sighs> could develop a vaccine. I wasn't really sure where to include this bit of information, but here seemed as good a place as any. One way or another, it's important that people know this was not an isolated incident. No, no, it's not. I mean, that I don't, I don't know if this is a secret or anything, but I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the government. I really don't care who's in charge. They all yeah, suck. That's <laughs> where I stand. Uh, They're all awful. So, and it really doesn't matter the time period here, now, then, before, after, whatever. Mm-hmm. They all suck. Um, but yeah, that no, I, I'm not surprise i'm pretty sure it's going on now at some point I, oh, i'll yeah. get my little tinfoil hat out if i have to but no, i'm not a terrible conspiracy theorist or anything i don't you know what i mean yeah. like there's plenty of proven conspiracy theories you know that yeah or whatever but i'm just i don't find myself speculating a lot about it i just know the government sucks that's yeah. <laughs> that's really all you need to know i, I can't remember who it was to um but with somebody who worked in the government or had a higher position or something like that, he, like, became a whistleblower at some point. But I just remember a quote for him, from him uh, where basically he said, um, whatever you think they're doing, it's much, much worse. Yep. yep. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> that's, that's not enough to induce extreme paranoia. <sighs> I believe all of that. That's, uh... Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know how I feel. I don't... I don't. I, I just, I don't know. Never been a fan of any of them. I don't give a shit. Nope. And they keep giving us reasons. So. Just, whatever political party, they don't, they're all trash. Yeah, they're they, all awful. They all hate you. I'll put it that yeah, way. Exactly. They all hate you. There's a reason that, like, every member of Congress somehow beats the richest billionaires out there in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at the track records of the, 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 the richest billionaires and then the track records of Congress... They beat them on picking the winners. Why? They get the information first, dipshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're not, n- none of the government's here to help you. They're here to no. help themselves. No. Uh, 
You along with the 29 other Farinald inmates. <laughs> Social justice ran over. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yours is like, help people, and mine is like, fuck the government. <laughs> Why can't they be one and the same? Uh, yeah, help people and fuck the government. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway. I think we just described the libertarian platform. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you along with 29 other Farinald inmates, of course, filed a suit against MIT and Quaker Oats in 1995 with the U.S. District Court in Boston, as you absolutely should. Yeah. You acted as figurehead for the case, speaking to everyone about not just the callousness shown to you by MIT and Quaker Oats, but also by the state itself and the deplorable conditions at Farinald. One of the lawyers who worked for the victims, Alexander Bach, talked about the consent forms the boys signed, saying... If you guys couldn't hear that, there was total air quotes around that consent. Yeah. <laughs> they put out a consent form that neglects to mention there's radioactivity in the oatmeal. If the radiation was okay, why didn't they disclose it? Yeah. For their part, MIT President Charles Vest apologized in 1994 for the experiments when the news first came out and became public knowledge. Quaker Oats, however, has denied playing any big role in the whole project, despite the experiment literally taking place on their behalf. Deny, deny, deny. Yeah, the company attempts to distance itself by claiming it simply donated the cereal and a small research grant to MIT. In the end, others began coming forward. And more than 30 people were involved in the suit. A hundred others were believed to have been involved and sent notices by the state. Jeez. Yeah. <sighs> and that's the thing. This is the state suing the state and corporations over what they were colluding on doing. That's fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Throw a sprinkle in a little academia there to make it all possible. Yeah. Yep. The victims settled for $1.85 million, which was divided up amongst them. And then President Clinton apologized to the victims in 1995. <laughs> and what about you? Well, unfortunately, you were diagnosed with colon cancer. But that, nor the cruelty that you were shown, were your legacy. You, Freddie Boyce, by were all accounts, kind-hearted and giving man. Oh, jeez, that one kicked you right in the chops. Ah. Who was loved by many, many people. You were smart. You were intelligent, and no matter what they tried to brand you, you shirked the label and made yourself your own man. You loved to read and enjoyed reading Stephen Haw or Stephen Hawking's work and discussing the cosmos with people. Your former wife still respected you and cared enough for you, and just the mutual friendship and admiration that they had for one another, that even after the divorce, she asked you to be the godfather to her five children. Hmm. Hey, never. He was a good man. Yeah. <laughs> she said of you, I don't know anybody who has as many friends as Freddie. Dr. Norman Frost, a pediatrician who wrote about you once, saying the main difference between you and normal people was that he was better looking and more charming. Lol. Nice. <laughs> you were forgiving to those who harmed you. You loved poetry. And you worked with a man named Michael D'Antonio, who is an author and journalist. You told him your story, and he put it out into the world, under the title The State Boys' Rebellion. Uh, yep. Nice. Which, there was actually talks for a while with Steven Spielberg to put it into a movie. Oh, cool. 
so. Oh, man. Wow. Yep. On May 6th of 2006, we lost your light. You passed at the Colonial Rehabilitation and Nursing Center in Weymouth, Massachusetts at the age of 65. And I genuinely hope you found your love and peace on the other side. <laughs> and that, Tom, is the wicked side of the Farinold Science Club experiments. Fuck you, now I need a drink. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. You know, I'm lucky I just got, like, it, my sense of taste and smell were only gone for, like, <laughs> you know, a couple of days. Because if I couldn't taste the whiskey I'm about to drink, I'd be super pissed. That shit's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> You're forcing me to drink. I don't know if this is post-COVID good for me or not, but thanks. All this depression and sadness. This is not good for my recovery. I blame you if I fall back into it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, sorry, not sorry, I guess. <laughs> no, it for me, it was because in my research, I repeatedly came across how frustrated he was by being labeled as stupid when he was not a stupid man. No, right. And how demeaning and dehumanizing it was for him to bear these labels that he shouldn't have ever had in the first place. Well, didn't he make a film about this? Wasn't it called Forrest Gump or something like that? <laughs> no. I am not a stupid man, Jenny. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it, he's... Uh, to be fair, that was like a handsome dude. Like, that's Tom Hanks. It's a handsome dude, right? Like... Uh, yeah, I think they already did this movie. Uh, no, they, well, they... they. I, I did miss the part where they fed him plutonium pellets for breakfast. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so fucked up. It wouldn't be wouldn't shock me if you're like, no, seriously, it was in the beginning, like right after the Elvis part. Yeah. <laughs> and the book goes much more into depth. It goes much more into depth on Freddy's life in general. Yeah, I bet. Which um, I can't recommend it enough. I'm actually ordering it myself. Oh, yeah? Because I, I really want to read it. You feel like crying some more? Apparently. Oh, jeez. Masochist. <laughs> <laughs> Get no, the fog out. Hit I, me again. I think <laughs> that his story is worth knowing. Oh, God. Puppies and kittens fold to you. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, the, mm, the concept that they thought that it was just fine, you know? Uh, like, well, we've talked about that before. It's... Yeah. You get you get enough people in there who, for whatever reason, don't care enough, be it tired, be it overworked, under over understaffed, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then you just put in a couple of psychos mm -hmm. and trauma abound. Every everybody gets a piece. Yeah. I mean it doesn't even take psychopaths. It just takes people who are able to look at other human beings and because of whatever menial differences there determine that those people have less value not only do they have less value but like no no, no we could totally like you know experiment on them and it's yeah. fine like and you know this is the only experiment ever done to that demographic of of vulnerable people mm -hmm. i mean hell we've covered other ones like yeah it's at, at this point i mean i was already unsurprised by it that it's just par for the course at this point do I think it's exclusive to America? No, I don't. No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this formula of like, oh God, why? I don't know. I'm suddenly, I, I haven't used my words in a while, so it's uh, <laughs> having a problem finding them all today. But it's just part of I'm the human It's condition. fairly ubiquitous. It's just, yeah. it's everywhere. You get a few bad people, boom, there you go. There's, oh, so yeah. you get, that's how you get the dictators and the fucking warlords and the 
Whatever. Go on. Put name your title. Terrible person who loves to hurt people. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, too, it's it's seen repeatedly. People that crave power will do anything to obtain it, and they will dehumanize and belittle, destroy whatever it takes to get what they want. Ultimately, life has no meaning. There is nothing but more expensive or more cheap to human beings than human life. To no, to some, I think the to to guys like to our, some. To guys like our friend here, it meant everything to him. That's why afterward he, you know, taught himself to read and write. He was so interested in what is out there and mm-hmm. what is possible, the cosmos. And, like, to him, it was valuable. All those, all those moments and all that knowledge, that's, that's the, you know. Yeah. He embraced what he found as the true value of humanity. Yes. So. Yeah, and for me, I don't want to be bitter for him. Away, you know? yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be bitter for him. I, th- I think, like, his... No, because his outlook on accounts, life is the he way he wasn't a bitter person. No, and his outlook on life, I think, is 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 a an extraordinarily healthy one to come from what he came from and the the trauma and the being pigeonholed into being stupid and yeah. to, to believing in yourself more than anyone else around you believes in you. Mm-hmm. You know, to to be the bastard son of a, a of a of a person who gave up so many kids to to the state and everything like that. To, it's. Yeah. You know, to never accept any of those labels and to just be who you are. Fuck what anybody else says about you. Like, no, I don't. I I don't give a fuck what you think. I'm not stupid. Yeah. I know me. I'm gonna fucking learn to read and write my dad damn self. Yeah. And then I'm gonna read some Stephen Hawking and figure out some fucking universal shit. Yep. And in a lot of um, what I what I read about him too said repeatedly that he was very determined to advance and better himself like he he by all accounts loved working for the carnival because he he was a carnival barker his whole life that's that's what he did that's you know and it seems like that makes sense you know considering he was handsome he was charming he was intelligent well that and he was cooped up in the beginning of his life to be just free and clear and screaming at the sky all day Exactly. Pro- nothing probably by felt... people yeah. trying to make them happy. People who were unique and embrace their uniqueness and the uniqueness of others at their own right. Like, yeah. So you're just in this community of like, you know, you do you, I'll do me, and you know, however it goes. But yeah. just to stand there every day at a different place and scream at the sky, I'm sure felt fucking wonderful from being a kid laughing at a box, told you to shut the fuck up and eat the radioactive oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's also very, very impressive that, like... I wish I could make a living as a carnival barker nowadays. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that pays, but I'm assuming it doesn't, like, come with benefits and yeah. 401k and shit. I, 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 he was such a good man. Like, uh, his ex-wife spoke uh, in a lot of books and interviews you know what I was about honestly, him. You know what I was honestly thinking about that? Hmm. He must have put down a good dick. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know what? He wasn't a bad guy. Great sense of humor. Good looking. Great dick. Like, can't ever let that one go. Like, yeah. I maybe, wish he was. Maybe not. But, like, the fact that, like, she trusted him enough. Hey, I want to hype this man's legacy. Like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Freddie deserved it. Fred, Freddie was a well-hung genius. That's what he was. <laughs> but kind enough and someone she felt safe enough with to... Put him as the godfather of yeah. her five children after huh. the fact. Yep. You know, and that was after their divorce. Like, divorces often embitter people quite a bit. 
and neither one of them. Hey, you know what? They stayed I, friends to the very end. Hey, I would have to say that we actually got to experience it, like, amicable divorce and mm-hmm. what it looks like to when your parents are divorced but still are amicable at talking with one another because all of yeah. our parent-teacher conferences had four parents at them. Oh, all yes. of our Anytime we fucked up, we had four parents there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they talked about it, so there's no play to both heads against the middle. Anytime we I almost hated punished it. at one house, yeah. they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, they're in trouble because they did this. And they're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, and it's it kind of bullshit. And to the next one. <laughs> it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> We got yelled at. We got yelled at by uh, four voices. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Everybody else got two, and you think you had it so bad. Nah. Right. right. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, 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 uh, that amicable divorce thing, I think, happens more than than some people think. But in, yeah, in it's, no, I would agree. It's yeah. so it's, it's good. It's one of those things I think that like because it's the so other good for you so personally loud. when it happens be- yeah. to 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 leave somebody you know in a from whatever committed relationship and just be like i wish you the best you wish me the best like we can dap it up we could still go to the the bar like we could see each other and not want to kill each other like mm-hmm. we there's no drama it's just maybe this doesn't work yeah you know what i mean yeah i mean not, not to get too um fine on it but with my own divorce it was not amicable mm-hmm. um and while I, I don't have any bitter feelings, I don't wish anything, you know... No ill will. ...against him at all. Not even then, I really didn't. I just knew we didn't fit. It wasn't right, yeah. you know? And in the end, I was right. I'm much happier where I am. I, I'm assuming he's much happier where he is. And mm-hmm. it all worked out for the better. I don't know? know what you guys are talking about. I've been with my happily ever after since the moment ago. You have been. <laughs> you have been. Yeah. I dated early on. Like, I mean, I dated through school and stuff, but mm-hmm. you introduced me to Amanda and that was kind of about it. Yeah. 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 I ain't gone nowhere since. <laughs> yeah. I remember you two took to each other pretty fast too. It was like, it was pretty, it was pretty oh, uh, we were, easy to see the chemistry. I was going to say, we were, we, we had pretty much decided it the day we met each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, for me, it was like, Manda's never been a, a, um, a huge physical affection, like, with her friends. Not anyway, at all. I'd she never still seen isn't. her touch it's just anybody. Me. <laughs> but the first night you guys were together, uh-huh. or you guys met, you guys were actually snuggling, and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is big, because Manda don't do that. <laughs> and she's still, she's still not a big, uh, she's definitely not, like, a PDA person either. Yeah, not, um, not big But I am, like, I'm her big cuddle thing. So. Yeah, exactly. For you and I, I think our love language is very much touch. Like for, our no, family for me, is like my that. no, my love language is purely in compliments. No, my my yeah. pu- my love language is very verbal. I I tell her how beautiful she is every day and how much I appreciate mm-hmm. everything she does and how much of the tent pole of this family she is and how awesome she is with our kid and and, and, mm-hmm. and how you know how well she keeps the books how how much of a hard worker she is like i can go through the list because so that's how you I, give love is that also how you receive it though no so for me i don't take compliments very well i get very uncomfortable with them i like to hear reinforcing words every now and again but it's mm-hmm. definitely not what i want to be showered with i just get really uncomfortable i feel like i start feeling like it's not true at some point so yeah. But no, for me, it's, I, um, I receive it as, um, I think I'm an active service receiver. Like, mm-hmm. it, if you, if I, I, I compliment and do things, but, like, 
it's the small things she does for me that are amazing. It's the cup of coffee in the morning. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever it may be. But I'm a, I think I'm a more of a, res- yeah. like, give compliments and, and support and stuff and then acts of service toward me. Or, but physical is, I think, eh. It's See, not I'm the a, biggest I'm thing a, for um, me. I show it by acts of service. Mm-hmm. But for me, very much on the receiving end, it's um, touch is very much for me. And acts of service you know yeah but touch is the big one like i it in again not at all in sexual ways it, yeah. but you know because like even my dog yeah like getting to sit and cuddle with her is very very rewarding for me okay you know yeah and it's if i'm stressed or if i'm freaking out that's oftentimes what i want is i i want some form of physical contact to help me feel grounded and get me back on track you know that's that's so are you like cuddly when you sleep no, that is the one thing that is unusual. I don't want to be touched me when neither. I sleep. No, that's how me and Amanda are. We have a giant bed, and they're like, yeah. we have separate blankets because I'm a blanket thief. Yeah. Uh, and I move too much. Uh, but, like, yeah, we there's distance between mm-hmm. us, and it's nice. Also, I get oh, I hot it. really, really, really easy. Same. Like, Amanda can't stand it. I'll roast her out from under a blanket. Oh, yeah. Well, I keep it really cool in the shop for a couple of reasons. A, you're supposed to anyway because it slows the spread of germs. Yeah, That's yeah. why, like, doctor's offices, hospitals are mm-hmm. all cold. Yeah. Um, you know, so I keep it cool for those reasons in the shop anyway, but also because I'm working under a very hot light. Right. You know, so I'm frequently I am overheated. And right. people will often complain, even like in the height of summer, man, it's really cold in here. And I'm like, yep. And I'm not changing it. So I'm, so, so I'm not sorry at all. I had <sighs> a, some guy that I used to work with, like his mom came in and started bitching about it. And because he had been bitching to her about it. And she's like, why do you like it like that? And I'm like, well, a couple of reasons. I gave her the germ explanation. And I said, I think part of it is, you know, I'm a bigger woman and you know, I think it just get hot easy. Yeah. And she was like, mm, I don't believe that because I'm a bigger woman too. And it doesn't affect me that way. And I was like, all right, Janice, like, yeah. what do you fucking want? Like, it doesn't affect you that way. And she was not, by the way, that's what I found hilarious. Yeah. Like I'm big. She was like moderately big like maybe a little fluffy, but like not at all. I'll out torch both of you. I am the human fucking torch. That's yeah. what I am. Oh, oh my god. god. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, there are points where Amanda like will put her hand on a spot on my body and be like, "It's too hot." I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'll human torch both of you. Oh, Fuck that. Scott, Aiden, <laughs> and Sorsha are all that way. Yep. When they, especially when they sleep, it feels like their body temperature skyrockets. Yep. Like at one point in time, um. Aiden, when he was little, had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And it was like me, it was Scott on one side, somehow I ended up in the middle, and then Aiden on the other side of me. Mm-hmm. And I was dying. I, I, I had to get out of that bed and go sleep on the couch because I could not stand how hot it was. Yep. Like, I it believe was every too moment much. of that. <laughs> yeah. And he's still, Ugh. like, both of them are... Like, Aiden almost never sleeps with a blanket for that reason, because he gets so overheated at night regardless. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yep. I always have one blanket. Yeah. That's it. One blanket, and that's so I can be half uncovered half the night. Yep. But I get... I do get cold when I sleep. I've never experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> Depending, like, um, a lot of times I do get cold when I sleep, and, uh... I'm hot the rest of the day. If I'm moving, I'm hot. If I'm laying still, I get cold. So oh, there you go. But yeah. Oops. Ah. 
So that tangent. <laughs> oh man, it's good I to be language. back. I I find love languages really interesting though. Oh. Whole discussion of it. You Everybody know? feels it differently. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. That's something we're acknowledging. Yeah. You know. I well, think it's it not universal. Yeah. It's not so. It's not as easy as I love you. Everybody experiences it different. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. But. Oh, man. Fuck now, I'm dropping shit. <laughs> I think that's a good time then to cut it off. I think it is too. Go ahead and just drop the mic. <laughs> Call it good. All right. Well, thank you everybody for returning to listen. Uh, thank you to any new listeners. Thank you to the Paranormal Podcasting Community for your continued support. And um, if you want, if you have any ideas for podcast episodes or anything you would like to hear us cover, please share with us. You can find us on the Wicked Side Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Because I fixed it, bitches! Hey! <laughs> I just want to point out, she didn't thank me for coming back. She thanks all you guys, but fuck me. <laughs> I told you that I was really excited to record with you again. I told you my love, love language is acts of service. Bow to me! <laughs> Never. Oh, anyway, <laughs> it's been wonderful to be back, though. Uh, yep. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We appreciate you being here, and uh, we hope you at least found what we talked about interesting today. And um, yeah, I think that wraps it up. We'll see you on the other side. See you.